1: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the AMERA Q2 2020 Analyst Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. At that time, if you have a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded today, Wednesday, August 12, 2020, at 9.30 Atlantic Time. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Scott Hastings, Emera's Senior Director, Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
2: Thank you, Chris, and thank you all for joining us this morning for Emera's second quarter 2020 conference call and live webcast. Emera's second quarter earnings release was distributed this morning via Newswire, and the financial statements, management's discussion, and analysis and the presentation being referenced on this call are available on our website at Emera.com. Joining me for this morning's call are Scott Belfour, Ameris President and Chief Executive Officer, Greg Blunden, Ameris Chief Financial Officer, and other members of the AMARA Management Team. Before before we begin, I'll take a moment to advise you that this morning's discussion will include forward-looking information which is subject to the cautionary statement contained on the supporting slide. Today's discussion and presentation will also include references to non-GAAP financial measures and you should refer to the appendage for definition information and reconciliations of historical non-GAAP measures to the closest GAAP financial measure. And now I'll turn things over to Scott Balfour. Thank you, Scott, and
3: good morning, everyone. As the global COVID-19 pandemic continues, our team remains focused on safely delivering the essential energy our customers are relying on in all of our service areas. The rates of infection of the virus in the communities we serve have varied significantly. For example, in Atlanta, Canada, we experienced very little community spread of COVID-19 and in parts of the Caribbean and New Mexico, spread has also been relatively contained. Clearly, it's a much different situation in the state of Florida where they're facing much higher spread and infection rates. However, no matter where we operate, our number one priority is the health and safety of our team our customers, and our communities. Our teams have adapted in every jurisdiction to new procedures and protocols to continue to deliver despite the impacts and challenges of COVID-19. While we have never stopped working, many of our employees have been productively operating from home since mid-March. As public health officials lift restrictions, we've been focused on our responsible reentry plans to phase our employees safely back to the traditional workplaces. Our reentry will be measured and will be reflective of the rates of transmission and public health guidelines in each of our service territories. We understand that the pandemic continues to drive financial pressure on our customers and our local communities. From the beginning, our utilities have been working with customers on relief initiatives and donating to organizations to help the vulnerable in our communities. In addition to corporate donations, our employees recently mobilized to support food banks in their communities and to assist local organizations and businesses, illustrating the compassion and community spirit of our employees above and beyond their unwavering commitment to delivering for customers during this pandemic. I've shared with their team many times that a response to this pandemic is more like a marathon than a sprint. They've continued to adapt and deliver for our customers and our communities at every turn. I'm proud of them and grateful for their contributions to Amira's strength and resiliency. As expected, while the COVID-19 pandemic has of course had many impacts, our business is nonetheless continuing to perform very well. We're generally experiencing lower commercial and industrial sales because of the economic impacts of the pandemic, but this has been partially offset by increased sales to residential customers where the contribution to recovery of fixed costs are structurally higher. We expect this trend to continue throughout 2020 as we continue to manage the impacts of the pandemic. Our balance sheet has also been strengthened, with benefit of the proceeds from the sale of Amira Maine. And as Greg will discuss in a moment, our businesses have been able to grow cash flow from operations on a year-to-date basis. These actions, combined with our reaffirmed credit ratings from Moody's and Fitch, reflect our strong and stable financial position. With additional health and safety procedures in place, Amira's capital program continues to advance. And as I reported on our first quarter call, we're pleased that our major projects are continuing without any significant supply disruptions or delays. This includes both the Big Bend modernization project and the solar developments in Florida. We expect to continue to fully deliver on our capital program. We remain confident in our long-term value proposition to shareholders, which is supported by the strength and resiliency of our strategy and our team. Across the business, our teams continue to work with regulatory agencies to ensure customer affordability, reliable service, and maintaining financially healthy utilities. This includes a number of important regulatory filings in our service territories. Throughout the pandemic, our teams have been working with regulators to advance these filings without any major delays. This includes rate cases at New Mexico Gas and People's Gas. These regulatory actions are important for the business, and we are pleased with the progress to date. In addition, just this week, the Florida Public Service Commission approved Tampa Electric Stipulation Agreement related to the Storm Protection Plan, which allows for the implementation of this clause starting January 1st, 2021. Lastly, both People's Gas and New Mexico Gas have filed for regulatory relief related to the deferral of COVID-related financial impacts, including increased bad debt expense. The New Mexico regulator approved this filing in the second quarter. And the people's gas filing is expected to be reviewed by the Florida Public Service Commission in the third quarter. As of the end of Q2 2020, no COVID-19 related deferral accounts have been recorded. The impacts of COVID-19 have been devastating to many communities, economies, industries, and individuals around the world. And it's clear that it is far from over. While we have employees who have tested positive, I'm relieved to say that we've had very little workplace, workplace spread and our employees that have been impacted are doing well. We also feel fortunate that we have such a strong portfolio of businesses that continue to benefit from diversification. Although some of our utilities have experienced larger COVID-19 impacts than others, overall, the pandemic has not had a material financial impact to date. We know there are more challenges ahead as governments look towards economic recovery, and we remain committed to doing our part not only in continuing to provide the cleaner, affordable, and reliable energy our customers and communities rely on, but to help with community support and the economic restarts in all of our jurisdictions. And with that, I'll turn it over to Greg to take you through our financial results for the quarter.
2: Thank you, Scott, and thank you all for joining us this morning. Our portfolio of regulated utilities have remained strong and performed very well, delivering adjusted earnings growth of 4% for the year to date, despite dealing with the impacts of the pandemic. We are pleased with this result, which was primarily driven by strong earnings from Tampa Electric. Our regulated utilities are in premium jurisdictions with supportive regulatory relationships and America continues to see its earnings quality improve. Now let's get into the details about the results. Earlier today, we reported second quarter adjusted earnings of $118 million and adjusted earnings per share of $0.48. Cents. For the six-month year-to-date, adjusted earnings were $311 million, and adjusted earnings per share was $1.27. Amir's adjusted earnings per share increased for the quarter and year-to-date when normalized for the impacts of asset sales and the timing difference related to the declaration of preferred dividends. These increases were driven by favorable results at Tampa Electric, partially offset by reduced earnings at Nova Scotia Power and Amir's Gas and Caribbean Utilities. With the sale of the unregulated gas plant in Amherst, Maine, we expect that there to be a fluctuation in our results due to the lost earnings contribution from these businesses. By normalizing the earnings contribution from asset sales, there is more transparency on the performance of our ongoing businesses. For the second quarter 2019 results, when normalized for the sale of Amherst, Maine, would have been 49 cents. And for year-to-date 2019. The reported adjusted earnings per share was $1.49, which included $0.22 from assets that had been subsequently sold. These assets included the unregulated gas plants, the main, and the sale of a Florida property. Therefore, the normalized earnings per share for the year-to-date 2019 would have been $1.27. Growth from the normalized Q2 2019 base of $0.49 was largely driven by the strong performance of Tampa electric. During the quarter, Tampa Electric contributed $146 million of earnings, an increase of $21 million over the second quarter of 2019. Tampa Electric's growth was driven by increased sales to residential customers, higher AFUDC earnings from the Big Ben modernization and solar projects, lower operating expenses, and lower depreciation and amortization expenses as a result of a regulatory settlement. Second quarter earnings from Amira Energy's marketing and trading business contributed approximately $0.05 cents more earnings per share than in Q2 of 2019. This increase was due to lower fixed commitments for gas transportation storage assets and more favorable market conditions, specifically increased volatility as compared to Q2 2019. Amira's other utilities experienced lower earnings for the quarter. The earnings in the Canadian utilities segment were lower than Q2 2019 due to the impacts of COVID-19 on sales volume, increased income taxes, and higher storm costs, partially offset by the timing of a regulatory deferral. In the Caribbean, earnings were negatively impacted by COVID-19 and the ongoing impacts of Hurricane Dorian on Grand Bahama Power Company. The gas utilities and infrastructure segment experienced lower earnings in Q2 of 2020 as compared to the same period in 2019. The second quarter of 2019 included a regulatory decision in New Mexico that contributed five cents in EPS and was one time in nature. Excluding this regulatory adjustment, the gas LDCs were basically flat quarter over quarter. So on a normalized basis, Amir's earnings per share for the second quarter of 2020 was 53 cents versus 49 cents in 2019 Q2, representing a growth rate of 8%. Lastly, for the quarter, there was a change in the timing of the declaration of preferred share dividends in Q2 2020, causing a five-cent impact in the quarter. In 2019, this amount was recorded in Q3, and this is simply a timing difference, and there will be no impact on the annual amount of preferred dividends paid. Similar to the quarter, year-to-date growth from the normalized 2019 base of $1.27 was largely driven by the strong performance of Tampa Electric. For the year-to-date 2020, Tampa Electric contributed $225 million of earnings, an increase of $39 million over year-to-date 2019. The gain Tampa Electric's growth was largely driven by higher base revenues related to favorable weather in Q1, higher AFUDC, lower operating costs, customer growth, and a lower depreciation and amortization expense as a result of the regulatory settlement. MIRS other utilities experienced lower earnings for the year-to-date 2020 mainly because of the same drivers I mentioned earlier for the quarter including the regulatory decision in New Mexico. So on a normalized basis, Amira's 2020 year-to-date EPS was up marginally to $2.30 as compared to $1.27 from 2019. And as I previously mentioned, the timing of the preferred share dividend declaration caused a 5 cent timing difference that will reverse in Q3. And finally, Amira Maine's contribution to the Amira EPS in Q1 2020 has been highlighted For transparency purposes moving to adjusted EBITDA and cash flow year-over-year EBITDA that's earnings before interest taxes depreciation and amortization was lower decreasing by 63 million or 5 percent most of this decline was related to the sale of the gas plants in the mirror main operating cash flow for year-to-date 2020 was up 41 million dollars or five percent compared to 2019 This growth was led by Tampa Electric, which experienced an increase of 77 million or 18%. This increase in regulated cash flows is a further signal of Ameris improving cash flow quality, which is a priority for our team. In closing, the quality and diversification of Ameris portfolio produced strong results for Q2 2020, despite dealing with the impacts of COVID-19. Our businesses continue to be resilient and are committed to both the safety of our employees and customers as we work through the pandemic. Our strong year-to-date operating cash flows and available liquidity have the company well-positioned for possible future COVID-19 related challenges to the business. Our major capital projects continue to progress without any significant disruptions and are on time and on budget, including the Big Bend modernization and solar projects in Tampa. And lastly, the regulatory teams across our businesses are advancing important initiatives, including rate cases at our gas LDCs in Florida and New Mexico. Our business is strong and well-positioned for future growth. And with that, I'll turn the presentation back over to Scott. Thank you, Greg. This concludes the presentation, and we'd now like to open the call for questions from analysts.
1: We will now open the call for questions. If you have a question, please pick up your receiver and press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star one. Please hold while we compile the Q&A roster. And your first question comes from Ben Pham of BMO. Your line is open.
4: Okay, thanks, good morning. Uh, On uh, the first question is on COVID-19. I I know you mentioned the impact uh, isn't uh, material uh, year to date. You're not uh, booking deferral accounts and and whatnot, but but can you? Provide a sense of any sort of quantification or directional impact that you've experienced. Is it a couple million here and there in each each segment, or is it something else? Any any context would be appreciated.
2: Yeah, Ben, it's Greg. I, I you know I I think probably the uh, easiest way or the way that we think about it is is probably kind of in three buckets. So from an operating cost perspective, incremental PP and E. Um, those types of things, we really—it's—it's it's really been, for the most part, probably offset by savings that we're experiencing because of the work environment we're in right now. So, so effectively, um, no impact at all. Obviously, we've seen some um, load impacts if I think of the second category across our businesses, some a little bit more um, higher than others, um, but then in some cases more than offset by weather or a, a mix of sales by customer class where some customer classes obviously contribute more to fixed costs than, than others um, and third is bad debt expense and it, I think it's too early to tell um, you know where that will end up obviously um, like everybody else we're anticipating um, that we will have an increased bad debt expense this year um, you know across the business it would be single digits of millions of dollars that you know we, we would anticipate at this point in time All
4: right. Um. And you mentioned a couple of, of rate uh, cases that are, are ongoing, everything are, are on, on track. Um, um, my question more is uh, uh, beyond the, the funds you have, what's, what's the plan around Pampa uh, Electric in terms of filings? And can you remind us with Nova Scotia Power, uh, when do you have to address or let the regulator know your your thoughts around uh, cost of service or just any sort of expansion to the, the rate agreement?
3: So so Nancy, you want to start with uh, with Tampa Electric and then and then Rick, you can you can respond for Nova Scotia Sure.
5: Yeah, uh, sure, Scott. Uh, I I didn't quite catch the 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 sound was a little muffled on my end. I apologize. So maybe just if you um, could clarify the Tampa Electric piece, that would be appreciated.
4: Yeah, not a problem. Uh, uh, My question was was really uh, the timing on the the next uh, rate case, if if that's the plan.
5: Okay, sorry. Um, Yeah, so, and and in terms of regulatory filings, generally things have been moving along um, quite well in the state. Um, You know, we we had the approval of the SPP on Monday, which was great. We've had um, other settlements and other agreements. And so the business of the Florida Public Public Service Commission is continuing on really without disruption. Um, you know, in terms of next rate case, we would anticipate, you know, we, we're, we're going to stay out until 2021. We can't have new rates before 2022. We've been doing a lot of building, as you know, and so we would anticipate going in as soon as we can to get new rates for all the capital we've put in place.
2: Ben, it's Rick Janiga with Nova Scotia Power. So uh, Nova Scotia is operating under uh, another uh, rate stability plan that was negotiated with customers and the regulators. So that will cover us out till 2022 as well. Um, The intent of it would be to work with the customers to look for other opportunities to continue those types of, of creative approaches to... Uh, managing rates, uh, knowing that we're heading into investments uh, that are aimed at increasing renewable content and looking at the the future state of coal generation in Nova Scotia, that will probably be the biggest uh, driver to what we're doing next on uh, rates and filings for a general rate application in Nova Scotia, so so nothing in the uh, imminent uh, term. And uh, we'll be able to keep you updated as
6: things progress, but but quite stable and uh, and in a good state in Nova Scotia.
4: Okay, so it sounds like Rick, the the bias now, and I haven't decided, is is more similar sort of mechanisms like the existing one, containing inflation versus more full blown cost of service application.
2: Yeah, we uh, and Ben, we do we do
3: look at. Um, at rates and potential for GRAs, but uh,
6: but
2: we do that review on a regular basis as a part of our ongoing financial management, both for rate classes to make sure they're balanced uh, between the customer classes and for uh, for the recoveries. But you know, right now things are in pretty good state, and uh, and we'll monitor that. We usually do that with lots of lead time for the regulator to be able to prepare know, for filing dates and so on, but there's nothing uh, in the works right now for that. Uh, but we, we, that's a regular part of our business to do the assessment of it and, and bring that planning forward kind of with a six to 12 months advance notice of, of the type of work that's required to get geared up with the regulator and customers.
4: All right, that's great. Thanks everybody.
2: Thanks, Ben.
1: Your next question comes from Mark Jarvie of CIBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks. Good morning, everyone.
7: Um, you know, obviously, with the potential of a change in administration in the U.S. and you know, chatter about reversal of corporate tax rates, Greg, is there any thoughts that maybe pause on, on the reduction of holding company debt or, or just wait to see how that plays out over the next six months?
2: Yeah, I... Mark, it's it's, it's a good question and clearly one that's coming up more often, and I I don't have any better crystal ball as to what's going to happen in the U.S. uh, than anybody else, and and of course, there would be a process that any new administration would have to go through. Um, You know, I think we'll clearly get some increased visibility on that over the next six months, but um, so we're going to continue on the path that we're on, uh, on the reduction of holding company debt and, you know, reevaluate if circumstances change. Okay. And
7: then can you just walk us through the lower depreciation amortization that Tampa Electric and that, I think it's an intangible software asset uh, adjustment, just whether it's sort of one time in nature and, and how that plays through in the back half of the year as well. I think there's still another $8 million to be recognized.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was, you know, like in all regulatory environments, you find yourself periodically in situations where um, some of your specific assets because of the pool depreciation methodology, uh, get over depreciated. Um, that, that's not uncommon, uh, and it was something that we were working through in Tampa, uh, and got resolution to take that um, excess depreciation that we had on our books in, and uh, bring it into income this year. And so you're right. So it was a $16 million settlement, half of which was booked in Q2, and then the rest will just flow through the balance of the year um, uh, on a quarterly basis.
7: Okay, uh, and and then just one other question is fallen up on something like that's not an issue but in terms of the aging receivables is there certain areas that um, you're seeing more of that or uh, something we should be mindful of in terms of geographic uh, concentration um, well, that's, a,
2: that's, that's a good question I, I don't think so it's it's you know we made a deliberate decision not to disconnect people um, for for non-payment um, or Delayed payments in, in the um, in the current environment, and you know we'll we'll start to move away from that as we get into Q3 and, and economies open up. Um, so as a result of that, not surprisingly, um, um, maybe a little bit more on the residential side, um, you're seeing that customers are have been a little bit slower to pay. Um, some of it also though, gets clouded by. Um, Caught by seasonality. So in, in Nova Scotia, of course, we're at a period of time now where bills are lower than they normally would be, and, and so you know we're not seeing as much of an impact percentage-wise. We may be seeing um, an impact, but not as much on the dollar side. Um, so it, it, it's it's kind of mixed across Mark, but I wouldn't say that there's one particular area that um, that that is con- more concerning than another. And as we've started to do an outreach and let people know about the plans uh, towards the end of the year, there's been a, a tremendous response from customers, um, you know, looking for payment plans or starting to just throw up their accounts. So so we're optimistic that there will be some kind of incremental net bad debt expense this year. But fortunately, we're in an industry where we're starting from a really, really low point to begin with.
1: Right.
7: Okay. That's it for me. Thanks.
2: Thanks, Mark.
1: Your next question comes from Robert Kwan of RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open.
7: Great. Good morning. If I can we'll just come back to tax and, and potential U.S. election outcomes, um, more so related to your disclosure back in 2018, you highlighted that tax reform was going to have a 3 to 5% negative EPS impact and somewhere in the range of 50 to $200 million negative cash flow impact before mitigation. I'm just wondering – what has actually played out? And if you can maybe just talk about now, like it took a while for New Mexico to, to come through, you know, what's actually playing out um, in the current period relative to the original guidance? Um,
2: so I'll give it, pr- provided somewhat directional, I'd say it, 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 it's probably been kind of in the midpoint of those ranges, Robert. Uh, I mean, we had a pretty good sense um, because it's somewhat of a mathematical exercise um, in terms of what the EPS impact would be as a result of of the after tax cost of our U.S. debt, obviously became higher with, with the 2017 tax reform, so, so there wasn't too much complicated with that. From a cash flow perspective, um, you know we had a, a reasonable um, view on what um, the refund to customers would be at Tampa Electric, and we have now worked through the, the other states that uh, that have transpired. So. Uh, You know, I think upon reflection, I I, I would expect that we were probably in and around the midpoint of of that range that we provided.
7: Got it. And that midpoint, that includes, I think there was some AMT credits that were going to flow through, and I believe that also included anything in the cross-border structures, is that correct? Correct. Um, If I can just finish then with the the PGS rate filing, Um, outside of normal rate-based growth, is you know, any of the, I think it was 62 million U S uh, that you're looking for in terms of an increased revenue requirement is any of that for anticipated costs that you're not uh, currently incurring, or is this really the, to get you back into the ROE range? I
2: make, might make, make get TJ to help with, with that TJ. Sure. Uh, So the $62 million includes um, to get us back within the range, but also anticipated um, additional costs um, to maintain and operate the system in 2021.
7: Okay. Do you have a sense as to how much increased costs that you're not incurring right now is kind of built into that?
2: Um, Yeah. I I, Sorry, I don't have that in front of me. Um, It's... um, a lot of it is due, really. A lot of our rate cases is due to the investment that we're making in the system, and so the return of that investment and the return on that investment on the on the rate base side. That's the bulk of it.
7: Perfect. And then just um, just to be clear, the sixty-two million is net of of other items that are moving just within rate riders.
2: That's correct. We're, we're moving around twenty million dollars from uh, one of the riders into. Uh, for cast iron and bare steel replacement into uh, base rates. Great,
7: thank you very much.
3: Thanks,
2: Robert. Yeah, just morning.
3: just 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 to add on to that. Sorry, it's Scott again. I think it's TJ something like a a billion billion six something like that of 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 rate based investment that um, has been made and is still in the process of being made. Uh, in uh, in in people's gas system to respond to uh, system expansion and uh, system integrity investments and those kinds of things since the last rate case and so um uh, it's really it's 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 almost substantially all that uh, that that capital investment in uh, in the system uh to to deal with that uh, that that growth that is really driving the the revenue
1: requirement
2: yes that's correct
1: Your next question comes from Rob Hope of Scotiabank. Your line is open.
6: Morning, everyone. Um, I want to follow up on one of the U.S. tax uh, reform questions. You know, as we look out to your rate filing schedule, you know, could we see you pause um, planning something like a TECO rate application in 2021 just to see, you know, if there is a change in tax legislation, as well as to see if the uh, regulator uh, will look at it on a standalone basis or, will, or if it will have to be addressed in a GRA. Yeah, we, uh,
2: Greg, I mean, we, we haven't made those decisions yet. I mean, clearly the first step of, of your, your hypothesis would be an election result in November, which will obviously take place well in advance of us filing. Um, and then, you know, it will be subsequent to that, um, obviously, I think most people on the call are referring to it, the potential of a, a, a Senator Biden being successful and, and leading a, a partial reversal of the 2017 tax reform. Um, you know, I think we'll have lots of visibility around that in terms of what uh, who's successful in the election, what their likely path is, uh, as well as the timing of that. Um, I think we'll have... All of those data points before we actually file anything in in Tampa Electric so obviously that will be taken into consideration at that time
6: all right Uh, appreciate that Uh, and then just secondly you know just given you know governments potentially looking to stimulus measures could we see or are you interfacing with some government with the potential to uh, uh, help uh, with some infrastructure investment uh, in your various geographies
3: I think I think uh, largely, Rob. You know, we continue to um, to invest in the business and drive uh, uh, investment in in system and and upgrades and the like in, in the way that we normally have. Of course, if there are um, stimulus package um, uh, initiatives that uh, that are a fit that can help to. Um, uh, help to um, reduce the cost of, uh, um, of system investment for customers, and for sure we'll be taking advantage of that. But uh, um, there's, there's, there's nothing that's currently on the near term radar at the moment that would uh, fit into that category. All right, thank you.
6: Thanks,
1: Rob. And your final question today comes from Linda Ezergales of TD Securities your line is open.
0: Thank you. I realize there's a a lot of moving parts on a number of fronts, but I'm wondering if you could help us understand your uh, recent thoughts on uh, your funding plans for the next year, kind of a plan A and and what might change that over time. Uh, Might there be some incremental asset sales, how are you looking at the relative attractiveness of various uh, funding options uh, on the equity side, et
2: cetera? Uh, well, I'll, I'll start with the first part of the question. Linda and Scott can jump in. Um, so, so nothing's changed from our, our funding plan that we would have um, laid out to investors and analysts uh, in February in Tampa. Uh, we're continuing uh, down that path. Um, you know, we're starting to see, uh, as you know, we have a little bit of room in our capital structure for some um, preferred shares or high bit equity. You know, that market looks like it might be starting to open up, but again, it'd be a relatively modest transaction for us. Um, yeah, the equity markets have remained constructive uh, for our sector, and, and we're thankful for that. Equally so, and maybe more so, the, the debt capital markets have also remained uh, incredibly constructive for our sector. And and so all to say is we're just going to continue on our path. Um, Our cash flows are, despite COVID, are really where we expected them to be. And and at this point, haven't really um, seen anything that would cause us to deviate from our original uh, communication and commitment to investors. Thank you. Scott, I
0: don't
2: know if you want to add add anything on asset sales. Uh, um, No, I
3: mean, I I think you, Covered it well, Greg. And look, you know, we said we set out a specific target as it relates to uh, capital raise from uh, from asset uh, sales as part of the funding of the capital plan that's in front of us today. And we've obviously fully uh, delivered and been successful on on that. That doesn't mean that we we won't, as always, continue to exercise discipline in our allocation of capital and continue to uh, review the the portfolio from time to time. But as it relates to the funding plan, um, you know, we, uh, we were successful with our achieving our targets. And um, uh, and so Greg's, Greg's answer, I think, gives you the, sort of the full, the full perspective on how we're looking at it today.
0: Thank you. Maybe it's just an incremental follow-up. Um, how might any sort of recent uh, discussions with the debt rating agencies inform uh, the, the, those plans? And can you give us some context around... Um, your sense of of how the rating agencies are thinking, both um, at an industry level as well as for your specific businesses, um, anything that might be shifting or or reinforced uh, given uh, the passage of time?
2: Um, yeah, Linda, it's Craig. Um, so so let me start with ourselves. I mean, obviously, um, since uh, I guess April, through to the end of June, all three rating agencies uh, have come out with their updated reports uh, on Amera. Um, we Scott referenced in the call both Fitch and Moody's in in June uh, reaffirmed our ratings and outlook. Um, so I think you can read in that they're quite uh, comfortable um, that we're continuing on the path that we had committed uh, to to uh, uh, to, to follow and, and have executed on, on, the, on our plans that we were doing. Obviously, if we go back to April, we were um, disappointed that S&P um, uh, took us down a notch. But you'll recall they also, at the same time, broke apart from the group rating methodology and, and reaffirmed the ratings at are regulated utilities, which, which in the current environment, we're in is, is is actually a very constructive thing because we're not planning to raise any holding company debt in the immediate uh, near term. Uh, so, so with all three of those behind us, it, it's we're, we don't find ourselves in a situation where there's um, any kind of uh, sense of urgency with the rating agencies. We um, they've all published their reports relatively recently. Um, we're continuing to execute as we had previously done, and, and I think, given where they're at and with all three of them now it's stable outlooks. Um, I, I think you can, um, you know, read into that what, what should be read right into it. Um, in, in terms of how they're looking at the sector, um, you know, I think this is. I'd I, I hate to speak for them, but they are speaking a little bit more publicly about this in in various conferences. You know, I think as they've gone back and done some looking back through time. Um, this industry has proven to be incredibly resilient, um, no matter if it's a financial crisis or COVID or some other things. And um, one of them, I can't remember which one recently did a report that found out that, uh, you know, a triple B rated utility defaulted at, you know, 20% of the time that a triple B corporate would default or non-utility. So, so I think they're reevaluating, um, um, I think, how they look at the business risks overall for utilities. Um, All to say is there doesn't seem to be any anxiety um, for any of the rating agencies right now with our particular sector and specifically with us.
0: Okay, thank you. And and just another incremental follow-up with regards to funding and capital expenditures. Uh, There was some mention in your MD&A that you're continuing to review the timing of capital expenditures in light of the evolving pandemic. And I'm wondering if that just refers to the need for social distancing, um, the potential for stimulus, or might there be some other moving parts around uh, renewable policy um, or, you know, mobile technologies or, or other things that might cause uh, big changes in the composition of your capital expenditures or, or timing or size. Yeah, Linda, it's, it's...
2: Really just about um, the execution of those capital projects, um, You know, for example, if I use Nova Scotia as an example, we probably have the most restrictive um, um, policies in, in Canada in terms of people entering the province have to self-isolate for 14 days, that's still in existence today, and so there's certain capital projects that we deliberately uh, slowed down or deferred to next year. Um, just in the event that once they got started, we could find ourselves in a position where we couldn't get the resources in from a province to to complete them to the extent they were contracted. On a two to two and a half billion dollar capital program, we're talking probably less than 10% of of the overall capital program. And these aren't projects that will not get done. You know, worst case, they'll get done over the next year or two, and and some of them could actually be starting up uh, this fall. Um, so it's more related to the practicality of getting uh, some of these projects done, in particular in Nova Scotia.
0: Thank you.
1: And those were our final questions. I will now return the presentation to the speakers.
2: I'd like to thank everyone for joining the call this morning and your ongoing interest in AMERA. Um, enjoy the rest of your day.
1: This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.